all have notions about what the harp sounds like. Those ideas are about to be challenged by our next three guests who are pushing the boundaries of what this instrument can do. This is Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WVXU. I'm Lucy May. Joining me in this recorded conversation to discuss why the harp is hip and how young kids are getting into the instrument locally are Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra principal harpist Gillian Bennett-Sella. Thanks for being here, Gillian. It's a pleasure to be here. Jazz harpist Park Stickney. Welcome, Park. Thanks. Great to be here. And School for the Creative and Performing Arts harp teacher and Cincinnati chapter of the American Harp Society president, Joseph Rebman. Thanks for being here, Joseph. Glad to be here. The Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra is a financial supporter of Cincinnati Public Radio. Full disclosure, a friend of mine in college was a harp performance major, and the impression I got from her was that the harps were very expensive, difficult to play, and very difficult to move around. Is any of that true, true or false? Uh, What do you think, Gillian? Yes and yes. (laughs) (laughs) A concert grand harp that I play at the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra is incredibly expensive, and you need a van or a station wagon or something, an SUV, to move it. However, there are many student models and also Celtic harps that you can play for the rest of your life. And those run from very inexpensive to expensive. So it is an accessible instrument. It's just that if the parents are thinking concert harpists, they need to have the right car. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Gillian, give us a brief history of the harp. Wow. <laughs> Loaded question. This is what I make my doctoral students do at CCF. <laughs> they will love hearing this yes. then. So briefly, it's uh, found in Africa early, early on. It uh, then uh, became more and more complicated with, um, it started out maybe a bow and arrow with one or two gut strings maybe. It got more and more complicated, and as music developed, It became more complicated with first levers, which are similar to what we have on that Celtic harp that still exists today, where you can make sharps and flats by adjusting a lever. Then later pedals, which allow us to play in all keys. It's used now in all different genres and um, in classical music. Usually if there's a new piece, the harp would have it. Park, how do you make harp relevant in modern times? <laughs> I think it's always been relevant. I mean, it's, I think about it this way. I once heard a story about uh, in the mountains, you know, a hundred years ago, there was an old harpist who said, we used to be the kings of the music. Every celebration was a harp based, you know, the weddings, the, the birthday parties, all harp. And then one day he said, the accordion came and ruined everything. And I think you have, so, so yes, you have changes in, in you know roles of the instruments the harp used to be incredibly important as a daily life instrument but i think it's still just as relevant uh, today we see it in in um, contemporary music with, with bjork with florence and the machine you have more and more harps happening in, in popular music uh so i don't think it's ever not been hip or relevant it's just that 
it's sort of invisible and also constantly present. You yourself, you mentioned that you had a harpist roommate. I think everyone knows a harpist somehow. Where I think the world is fascinated by the harp, strangely, and luckily for us. Uh, so I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to answer your question because I think it's it's never been a problem. Gillian and Joseph, you've prepared a duet for us. What's it called? This piece is called Chanson dans la nuit, which is song in the night in French. And it's by Carlos Salzedo, who is one of the great harp performers and composers. Actually, this piece is probably why I play the harp. We'd love to hear it.
That was beautiful. It really was. What are some of the moods you can express with the harp? Uh, tension, for example, or sorrow or jubilation? Can you demonstrate some of those? Sure. So I think actually at the very, very beginning of this piece has a type of glissando, which is where you just strum every string in a row. I like to nickname this the Hollywood gliss. It is the gates of heaven opening up as the angels sing, that kind of sound. But if I even just reverse some of my chromatics, my pedals, and then do the same exact thing, we get this on instead. So something I love to do is what I call making the harp growl by doing a very slow slide of my foot pedal, which for the metal strings, slowly has metal touch metal, which causes this raucous sound. It's kind of like punk harp. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph SCPA has a dedicated harp program, as you know better than any of us here. I understand it's the only one in the state, one of only seven nationwide for elementary and high school students. How did this region get so lucky? So the SCPA harp program was essentially founded by my teacher, Michelle Gwynn. She started teaching at SCPA in 2001. And at the beginning, a lot of it was her bringing in her own harps, her own music. But through more and more support internally at CPS and SCPA, the program grew and grew and grew and grew. Based on yearbook pictures I found, at the height of the program, there were over 40 students at SCPA playing the harp. Wow. And how do you get students, uh, what's their first impression when they first see the harp, when they come into the room and see harp sitting there? What, what's the reaction you get from students? So the, the current structure of SCPA is a K through 12 building. And students in K through 3, they take general music, general visual art, and general dance. So my program begins in fourth grade. So in third grade, they do a little tour of the building and they do kind of like an interview and try things out at each area. And when they go to try out for ballet, they've already had three, four years of dance. If they go and try out for the visual art class, they've already been doing that. But for my class, most of them don't even know what a harp is at first. So they come into my classroom, they all have a seat on the floor, and I go slowly through the types of harps. So as Park was saying earlier, they come in all different sizes. So very, very beginning with my fourth grade students, we are playing itty-bitty low harps. We sit on the floor cross-legged, and this harp is no taller than their head. So we start with that in a circle. It's very, very cute. And then from there, we then move up to the lever harps, which are a medium size, maybe three and a half feet tall. And we primarily play those from that point forward. Then as they get closer to like eighth grade, I then start introducing the pedal harps, which we only have a handful of at school. But the smaller ones, I have a whole fleet of the itty-bitty ones. Yeah. Is it difficult to get students interested in learning to play harp? So far, not really. I have... I would also say I've definitely gotten better at talking to third graders over the years. <laughs> but I have a whole little presentation I've created of where they come in. I keep it very interactive of, this is a harp. 
what do you think it's made out of? And they all raise their hands and we go through, it's wooden, it's got some strings on it, some of them are metal, some of them are nylon. Whenever I get to the gut, they always go, ew, gut strings. Are we touching gut? No, it's covered in a lacquer, it's fine. <laughs> and at the very, very end, I have all of them get a chance to try it. I bring over the big pedal harp, I put it in what I call the Hollywood gliss, and every single person gets to come over and just do one up and one down gliss, and they all go, wow, I did that. And Park, how do you approach playing the harp? What's your style? Well, the style of music I play is basically jazz is probably the, the best uh, name for it. I, I use improvis improvisation, uh, and this can be based on classical pieces or my own pieces or just free form. It really it sort of depends, but probably that fits in the house of jazz best. your style, Joseph? Ooh, uh, the primary music, when I'm choosing my own music that I like to perform, I'd say contemporary in terms of classical contemporary. I primarily work with living composers, mostly early, early career ones, who are also very interested in what can the harp do besides chords and arpeggios. So, Park, talk to us about what the harp can do besides chords and arpeggios like, like Joe was just talking about. Well, I think one of the great things that harp, the harp can do is that it, uh, you can play harmony and melody at the same time. This is unusual. I mean, pianos can also do this, but a lot of instruments, they, they can hint at it. A guitar can hint at playing chords and melody at the same time, but we really can do it. We're like a piano, but we're much more portable. Even though it's you know it can be complicated to move, we're, we're portable. Uh, and the other thing that's amazing, the difference for us from the piano is that we have active contact with the strings, your, your fingers on strings. Yes, you have fingers on keys in a piano and the keys hit the strings, but we can really, by where we approach the strings, uh, we can change the sound, how we move the pedals. There's a lot of variables you can use to get a, a, an amazing amount of colors on the harp. What does that touch mean to you, Joe, that, that making direct contact with those strings to make the sounds? I like to describe it as a piano unboxed because coming from a contemporary classical world, a lot of my pianist colleagues that I see, they take off the lid of the piano and they're reaching inside to attempt various things. It looks very uncomfortable to be leaning over the piano like that. But for us, we have instant, easy access to do really anything to the strings. So my favorite things are uh, in the piece we have performed, we use our fingernails sometimes. You can also even take other tools as well. Like there's one piece a composer wrote for me where I take honey dipper spoons and I wedge them between the strings. Then I use a marimba mallet to then tap the spoon and it makes a really interesting watery gong sound. What, what does that touch mean to you? Why, how important is that when it comes to your playing harp? Well, if you think about it, harp and guitar, we're the only instruments almost that directly touch the string. And so that is really important because we can affect the sound quality 
you have to have soft fingers, you don't want to your calluses to be big, and you also have to develop that touch, which is just really important. And you can hear a difference from harpist to harpist because of the touch. Mm-hmm. We don't have an intermediary like a, a key or a bow. Well, Joseph, there are some harpists who spent a lot of time during the COVID lockdowns exposing people to the instrument on social media with TikTok videos and Instagram, all this kind of stuff, kind of breaking down barriers for people who maybe only thought of harp as the angelic kind of, you know, Hollywood instrument that that you talked about. Have attitudes about the harp changed in recent years? Do you think, you know, among your students or among the people that you talk to, have attitudes changed? Definitely. I definitely see a change, especially with social media. Uh, There are lots of harpists who are active on social media playing classical, but also really anything they want to. And I frequently have my students now will come up to me before or after class, show me their phone and be like, look at this. Can we learn this? Look at this cool thing I found. A funny one I had recently was there was a commercial of some sort with Martha Stewart playing harp. And this kid had no idea who that was. <laughs> and Snoop Dogg's friend, <laughs> yes, Martha. Exactly. So to me, it was quite obvious she was imitating playing a harp. But they had a harp track of a pop song being played behind her. So the kid just assumed, what's this cool thing this, this lady is doing? So I had to kind of explain a little bit of, yeah, that's cool. Here's what's actually happening. <laughs> I'm talking in this recorded interview with musicians who are pushing the boundaries of harp performance. Park, who are some of your harp heroes? Well, actually, it's funny to say that because one of my harp heroes uh, was fr- in Cincinnati. It's um, uh, Casper Rudin. Yeah. yeah, who he? I kept hearing about him. He wasn't my. It was only recently he became one of my harp heroes. When I realized that he uh, did a lot of the the same approach to the harp that I do, I just finished a, a couple years ago a doctorate studying moving the pedals, which I think you've talked about with with Joe, uh, but moving multiple pedals with one foot which is something that uh, gives you many possibilities. It sort of changes the game, especially with improvised music. And Casper Reardon was somebody who was definitely doing this at a time. He found this solution, which had been found and lost over hundreds of years. You know, He's not the first person to do this. I'm not the first person to do this, multiple pedals with one foot. People have done it since there have been pedals on harps, but they kept using it for certain tasks and then forgetting about it, using it for tasks and forgetting about it. And he did it for the re- same reasons that I did it, then moved to New York and was becoming in the harpist way, sort of famous. He was on the radio, he was in the Paul Whiteman or- ensemble, he played at the White House, he was getting bigger and bigger, he was in a movie. And then in his, I think in his 40s, he just dropped dead. Oh. And all this potential, yeah, sorry, that was a little bit sudden. All this potential uh, it d- died with him and it had to be sort of rediscovered. Uh, so he is, I think I would have liked to have met him because I think he is somebody that I could have talked about pedals with. So he's, I think he's definitely one of my harp heroes. And he played in the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra, right, Park? Exactly. And he taught, I mean, he was you, Gillian. He played in the orchestra, <laughs> he taught at the conservatory, and he, <laughs> don't just stay alive. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> well, I beat 40 yeah. already. So. <laughs> yeah. Who are your harp heroes, Joe? Uh, Actually, a fun 360 moment. So me as a child, uh, I started playing harp when I was 10. So something around like probably 11 or 12. My harp teacher, Michelle Gwynn, gave me a poster and a CD of Park Stickney. 
Oh, man. No. And I still have that poster in my teaching room at NKU. Wow. Park, wow. did you know this? I didn't know this. Wow. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Wait, is this an intervention? Yeah. <laughs> this is Park, so you have to go sign the poster oh. while you're here. Yeah, yeah, that's what this whole concert thing is all about. That's right. It's Full all a circle. ruse. It's all a ruse to get you to sign the poster. <laughs> Gillian, how about you? Wow, Who are thanks, your Jeff. harp heroes? Well, one of them is Nancy Allen. Park and I both studied at Juilliard with her, and she's, in addition to my mentor and teacher, a very good friend. She's still playing in the New York Philharmonic. She's still a soloist. She lends people harps on a minute notice. She's just the nicest person, and I learned so much from her and met Park because of Nancy's. There are artists who are pushing the boundaries of the harp. We've talked a little bit about that, like Joanna Newsom today and before her, jazz harpists like Alice Coltrane and Dorothy Ashby. How do you respond to their music, Gillian, and what they're doing with the instruments? I think anything with harp is good and positive. <laughs> I'm a big harp fan. So I love when I hear that people have learned about the harp through different venues because they're not all coming to music hall to hear my concerts. So it's just wonderful that there's a lot of harp out there. How do you respond to those artists, Park? Well, I mean, actually, I'd like to tack on with, with what Gillian said, because it occurs to me that what's important about the harp is that it's uh, it's an instrument that's the perfect instrument for anyone. So I think when people hear harp through pop music and what's going on, they should also know that the harp is available for them. If you're an adult who wants to play an instrument, you should think about the harp. It's not just because I'm a harpist. It's just it's the perfect instrument to pick up at any point in your life because you get to play harmony and melody at the same time. I mean, if you're a violinist, you're going to spend so much time sounding terrible. But the harp, you can make beautiful music and beautiful vibrations instantly. At my concerts, people come up and they just touch the harp, and they're doing the same thing that I'm doing. I'm maybe doing it in a more complicated way and more specific things, but the harp is really universal. How do you convince people of that, though, Park? Because when we started out this conversation, we talked about the big concert harps are pretty darn expensive. They're hard to move. Um, it, it, I, that feels like it could be a real barrier for people who think, this is beautiful. I'd love to be able to play it, but I, I can't afford one. I don't know how I'd move around. I mean, how do you, how do you get people past that hurdle, Park? Well, I think there's there's two things with this. One is that, as Gillian said, there are harps that are less expensive. You can have the access to the harps. You don't have to have a pedal harp. It just gives you more possibilities. But you can have the basic amount of the harp, the basic feeling of the harp, really not so expensively. And the other thing that I think it's important to realize is that, yes, harps can be expensive as pianos can be expensive. But if you're going to be a professional harpist, which is not what we're talking about right now, I realize, you have to realize that harps start off a little more expensive than some instruments, but they peak I mean, friends of ours who are playing, you know, violin, they're millions of dollars. And there are not million dollar harps don't exist because they only last for around 70 or 80 years before the, the internal pressure on the strings pulls them apart. So they're ex a little expensive at the beginning, but but uh, it tops out quickly. So but anyway, to answer your question, I think it's with Celtic harps, with, you know, smaller harps, which you can really get incredibly affordably. Park, you're visiting Cincinnati from Switzerland for a performance. What's the harp scene like in Switzerland? There are a lot of harpists and doing the harpist job. I guess one of the differences would be, uh, at least from my experience in the States, uh, there are, I'm not sure this is still true, but there are more you know, wedding harpists and like playing for events and playing in restaurants. And this seems to not exist so much in Europe. 
I think just because maybe it's an Anglo-Saxon thing, maybe it's just because it, I don't know why it is. But the harpists I know in Switzerland tend to do more orchestral or chamber music or concerts and, and teaching kind of thing. So that's that's the main difference. But there are, there are a lot of harpists in Switzerland and, and in Europe. And Park, so, we've talked about how you're a jazz harpist. Um, we might often think of the harp harmonizing in an orchestra, but you're harmonizing with bassists and sax players. Is that different for you? What's that process like to, to make music in a group like that? Well, I mean, I think whether it's, you know, jazz music, whether it's classical music or it's or orchestral, it's all communication. It's all chamber music of some sort. So it's all about listening. Uh, and so listening tells you when you're playing with a bass player, you might not want to, if you, you know, only inhabit the same sonic space that the bass player in, inhabits, then you might not be using, <laughs> it might not be the best conversation. And same thing with the saxophone. It's, it's all about listening, ultimately, just, just like life. Is your style improv? Yeah, I mean, improvisation words, which could be based on standards. And then I'm doing two concerts uh, in, in Cincinnati, though, one at CCM and one at, at Schwartz's Point. Uh, and so it's, it's in TCM, it's going to be with a trio, and then we're adding a second sax uh, for the second concert. Uh, so there'll be, it's improv, but it won't be just get on stage and start playing something. There's going to be a framework behind it, whether some jazz standards, you know, commonly knows jazz standards from that world or my own compositions, which have written out bits, but then there are spaces for improvisation. Mm. Park, what do you think the harp can contribute to jazz that other instruments either can't or don't? Well, I think that the big thing is that the, the problem for the harp and jazz is that we, we have to figure out what we're going to do. And the advantage is we have to figure out what we're going to do. If you're a saxophone player, you have the history of all the saxophone players behind you, and you have to find your own voice. As a harpist, even though there have been people, of course, like Alice Coltrane and all these harpists you've discussed, uh, there's still much more room of, of things to do. So I think that when an audience, to answer your question, when the audience listens to a harp, they part of their brain that hasn't been activated activates because they think what is that sound and i i don't know and so constantly in concerts people will come and say oh it sounds like a piano it sounds like a guitar and that, that tells me that they're trying to figure out what this sound is whereas when you hear a piano they're thinking oh it sounds like a piano or they're thinking it sounds like oscar peterson or you know monk or whatever so i, I think it gives a there's an emptiness a, a, a space that can still be discovered which is really interesting so is the harp imitating all those other instruments or are all those other instruments imitating the harp? Huh. Already, right away we get to the deep philosophical question. <laughs> I think it's it's all a dialogue. I mean, I know that when I'm working, I'm trying to understand what the saxophone can teach me while still remaining a harpist. I'm, you know, always questioning, always trying to figure out what what it is I want to say, what I think I want to say, what's what's happening. So no, I think it's all about dialogue. It's dialogue and, and listening, which are basically the same thing. I've been talking with Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra principal harpist Gillian Bennett-Sella, jazz harpist Park Stickney, and Swoof, the creative and performing arts harp teacher and Cincinnati chapter of the American Harp Society president, Joseph Redman. Park Stickney will be performing at a free public concert February 28th at the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music. You can find more information on our website, wbxu.org. Thank you all so much for your time today. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. 
You've been listening to Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WVXU. Our producer is Selena Reeder. Associate producer is Asiya Johnson. Technical director is Marshall Vertsky. I'm Lucy May. Thanks for listening. Thank you.